Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Aww. You know, I just finished a whole bunch of grading, so you know, hey, you know, middle middle of the semester. Yes. Yes, listeners will have missed you last um, last week because you were off doing important professory grady things, <laughs> um, and so we had a we had a visitor who talked to us, Pat, uh, Patty Sopsack, Dr. Sopsack, who came and talked about sort of voting as hiring, and the way that people look at it in those terms. And it got me thinking about presidential personalities. And then, of course, <laughs> I watched the debate, which those two people have very different approaches to what they perceive the job of the presidency and how they perceive that the president should act in public and in private. Um, and I, I thought, oh, well, that's kind of an interesting, I want Augie's take on that, on sort of the the sort of deep-seated personality um, uh, and leadership styles that the various presidents bring to the job and and what we think about that. Because, uh, wow, that was like, so I guess basically um, in past elections, I will admit that if I were an alien dropping down on election day, and I had to listen to the last two speeches of each individual, I'm not sure I could tell most of them apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got like nuanced positions on a little bit of stuff, but generally speaking, what you basically say if you want to be president is I'm pro-America and I love the military and I love all the American people and I'm for everything for everyone. Right? And then, and we all go, yay, and that's, that's that. But that's not quite how it's working out this time. Yeah, I mean, Nia, you've touched upon one of the kind of sort of long-held laments of American voters, which was or is there's very little difference between the political parties, and there's frequently very little difference between the candidates. Um, and they might have differences, minute differences in regards to policy emphasis or emphases, okay? But in terms of personality, okay, um, you know, a lot of voters complain and, and, you know, and some go ahead and say, you know, why should I vote when, you know, I, I cannot discern a difference between candidate A and candidate B, right? But yeah, well, I mean, they're never, they're never, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to use a 80s word. They're never freaky in public, right? They never do, they all wear blue suits with red ties and a flag pin. And you know what I mean? Like they're, they're well, relatively yeah. I mean, it, interchangeable. And most are, have been coached and trained to the last, if you will, moment of their life, okay? That when you're in public, you have to do act. <laughs> And don't if, act out. That's what yeah. my mother, my mother said when I was a kid, right? Don't act out. Don't you, don't you make me take you to the car? Yeah. I mean, I, what I used to hear from my mother what, and my grandmother was, 
don't embarrass the family. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, by the way, so the campaigns good. are saying, don't, don't embarrass Democrats. Don't well, embarrass Republicans. Republicans. Yeah, right. Don't embarrass Libertarians. Okay. okay. On the other hand, okay, uh, with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, um, you see two individuals with well-known, if you will, personas, right? And, and, you know, we could engage in the negative descriptions of them. But, you know, the more positive, okay, is, you know, you know, Joe Biden, you know, Uncle Joe, right? Okay, he's been, you know, uh, uh, a well-known face in the Democratic Party since the late 1970s, early 1980s. Um, you know, uh, uh, born and raised in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania, okay, um, represented, you know, the fine state of Delaware, blah, blah, blah. Okay, has, has been had a, lots of tragedies and he's sort yeah, of- Yeah, been lots of tragedies. As you know, you, know, was very, in, you know, uh, was in the House of Representatives, he was in the Senate. He does retail politics, right? And you know, and I've used that expression with my students, and students are like, What do you mean by retail politics? Joe Biden is the you know, go out, shake hands, you know, go to barbecues, kiss babies, go, yeah, kiss babies, go to state fairs. Okay, he he presses the flesh. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't even think those involved in the Biden campaign would accuse Joe Biden necessarily of being uh, a policy wonk or a deep thinker. And again, I'm not being critical. Okay. He does retail politics. Right. Okay. Right. He, you know, it was noteworthy to me that in the Obama administration, Barack Obama frequently had Joe Biden go to Congress to con uh, craft deals with members of Congress. One, because they, know, they knew Joe Biden because he used to be a member of that institution. But that's the kind of thing that Joe Biden does, right? He sits down at the table, he loosens the tie, he rolls up his sleeves. Right. He gives a little, he gets a little, well, he, yeah, you know, right? he recognizes that everybody's going to have to swallow a little bit of fecal matter to yes. get through to the, to what they more or less want. Right. Yes. Yeah. Then, you know, okay. He, he kind of it, reads the room. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, then on the opposite side, I mean, again, Donald Trump, I mean, even before he ran for president in 2016 was a well-known, if you will, personality type. You've described him in previous podcast episodes as, okay, this is a person who's, you know, comfortable in business. He's comfortable in real estate. Okay. You know, um, any news is good news. So whereas many of us would be, you know, completely upset by negative press coverage, Donald Trump you know, wallows in it, relishes it, you know? Well, he loves the fight. He, yes. uh, forgive me for taking a Southern point of view on him, but he's, he's, he's what um, I think of when I think of sort of that feisty New York, are you talking to me kind of, I mean, obviously he's not a serial killer or anything like that, but, but you know what I mean? He's got that, that sort of, um, 
you know, like rough, like sort of, oh, you want to, you want to fight? I'll give you a fight if that's what you're looking for. Well, I mean, and it, it's in your face. And there's something in, there's something in that. If we're talking about positiveness, yeah, that is a feisty sort of, nobody in the room is going to take him, is, is going to take him for granted or, or sort of be, yeah, yeah, we know what's going to come out of Donald Trump's mouth. Because that's not how he he operates and he's extraordinarily good at finding the thing that unnerves his opponent. Sure. He's, okay. he's really, I mean, cause he's been fighting his whole life doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm sure that goes back to business deals and all that other kind of stuff where you keep the other person sort of off footed. Sure. I mean, and you know, he did a reality TV show. I mean, you don't do reality TV shows and be bland, right? Yeah, no, they won't. Yeah, they hire Not, you. They don't play for more than one season if you can't keep a keep. A yeah, crowd. they don't hire you to do re reality TV shows um, if you're the quiet person who sits in the back of the room and takes notes. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, and it kind of sort of, you know, begs the question, and you and I have, you know, talked about this, you know, when political scientists watch debates, you know, part or, or campaign speeches. I mean, part of what we do is, you know, like any other voter, okay, you know, are they speaking in a way that appeals to us or turns us off? Do they say things that appeal to us in terms of our own personal, you know, policy goals and preferences? But there's a well-developed body of literature that has explored personality, if you will, types of presidents, but also, if you will, key attributes of successful versus unsuccessful presidents. So when I watch a presidential debate, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it's kind of sort of like, you know, my students have asked me, you know, what did I pay attention to during the Senate confirmation hearing of Amy Coney Barrett, uh, uh, who was nominated to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And, and, and I go into this long list and finally, you know, it, uh, Inevitably, a student will go ahead and say, you know, Augie, all we wanted was like the 10 to 15 se second answer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> I've never known a political scientist who could give a 10 to 15 second answer. You know, Except for, you know, like, are you awake? Yes. Yeah, but right? I mean, beyond that. You know, it's like, you know, students are shocked to find out, you know, that, you know, political scientists, you know, might like sports or music or whatever. And they're like, oh, I bet you guys are just a barrel of laughs when you go to like sporting events because <laughs> you analyze everything to death. And I said, not necessarily, but sometimes yes. Right. You know, that's again, that's our training. That's our mindset. Right. right. So what I'm talking about here, Nia, is, first of all, uh, James David Barber's um, well-known, if you will, typology of presidential personality, okay? Um, and Barber got interested in, in this, by the way, after the Nixon administration, okay? The Nixon administration, where many well, Americans... Many Richard Ameri Nixon was full of personality. Yeah, and many Americans, and by extension, many political scientists were like, what was it about Richard Nixon's personality that led him to do some of the things that he did, right? I've asked that question to myself. Okay. And what Barber basically did was, uh, 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 if you will, use two variables, okay? First, okay, 
Um, how much energy does the president have or invest in the office, in the job? So he, if you will, created a, 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 a bifurcation, either active versus negative, right? You know, active versus negative? Or excuse me, active versus passive, right? Oh, okay. I mean, and it's kind of sort of like, you know, um, uh, and, 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 and again, listeners, please forgive me. I've just been doing a whole bunch of grading. So I've like told my, some of my students, quit using the passive voice, okay? Use the active voice, right? You know, likewise, how do you approach, if you will, your job, okay? Do you bring a lot of energy to it, okay? Or are you passive, right? You let others, if you will, dictate, okay, the, the flow, the workload, the ideas, et cetera, okay? And then the other variable was, okay, are you positive or negative about the job? Do you like it? And, you know, you know, do you want to do something with it, right? You know, is even, you know, phone calls with, you know, uh, um, uh, leaders of countries that nobody could name on a map, do you get excited about them versus, oh, I got another briefing with the CIA first thing in the morning. I hate this. Okay. Or, oh, I got to do a state dinner with somebody. Okay. Who I really don't care about, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I have to give another state of the union address. Are you serious? Okay. I just did that last year. You're, yeah. Right. Okay. Can't uh, I just send over a note saying nothing's changed? Yeah, okay. XOXO the president. So then what I would, by the way, kill to see a note like that, just oh, in case you were wondering. Oh, I mean, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> something signed XOXO the president. You know, I would frame and hang on my door so like like a wreath so that people could see it. But anyway. Well, me and, 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 and you know, an entire generation of my students have heard me say the State of the Union address, <clears throat> I would love for it to be an email attachment. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, see attachment for State of the Union, best, the president. You know what I mean? Like the email would be very short and everybody, and they would, especially if they could send it to everybody in the nation. Oh, then you just, it would just come in in your email. You could open it up and read it when you felt like it yeah. or not. You could delete the whole thing if you didn't care. So, and, 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 and the positive is an entire evening of TV would not be displaced simply because of the glorified pep rally that the State of the Union address has become. <laughs> yeah. And the um, the networks that don't care for the president are always scanning the crowd for people making faces, looking unhappy, blah, 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 so that they can draw all kinds of conclusions. And I'm like, I'm just going to tell you that if I adored the president, if I thought the president was the best thing since sliced bread, at some point, my face is going to look bored during the State of the Union address. It just is. It's not even about the president. It's about no. the fact that you're making me sit in this uncomfortable chair for how long? <laughs> While we take commercial breaks so that the 
the networks can cover everything. Oh, bite me. Like I, I, the bite me look would be on my face. And then of course, somebody, somebody would say, clearly Ms. Rogers does not care for the president's that's not true. I just don't want to be here doing this thing. Best thing about Ruth Bader Ginsburg was that she'd fall asleep during the during the State of the Union, like, you go, girl. That's what I'd like to be able to get away with. Yeah, one of the infamous not where that happened, um, as uh, she went ahead and explained, she had wine with dinner. Then she went to the State of the Union address. It got warm in the room, okay? <laughs> and she had been up since like 4.35 o'clock. So she got a little nappish. And yeah. I was just like, you know how many times Justice Ginsburg, I've had similar experiences. <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, I had been up really early. I had put in a full day, okay? I decided to, you know, have a cocktail with dinner, okay? And then I, you know, sat through a talk or speech and it took everything I had to stay awake. Yeah. I've been there. I'm hoping that Amy Coney Barrett does that at some point. <laughs> Just to be like, no, no, it's a tradition in this seat. It, it Wouldn't that be great if she had that kind of sense of humor? I don't know if she does or not, but that'd be wonderful. But, but I mean, hey, I mean, think about it, right? You know, working mom with seven kids. You, Dude, she's got to be tired all the time. Yeah, right? You know, the State of the Union address is usually delivered at nine o'clock at night during prime time hours for TV. Hey, I'm a parent with one kid and I only share custody half the week. There are many nights to where when my daughter starts falling asleep at quarter to nine, I'm right there with her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. okay, so we have active and we have passive. And then we have negative positive and positive, negative. sort of how you view the yeah, positive how you view the job. Yeah. Um, does this have any is there any correlation between this and the amount of gray your hair goes as as the presidency goes because I'm gonna tell you what all those people start out at about 25 and end up at about 90. <laughs> you know what I mean they come in and they're all like look I'm youthful and I still have all my hair and it's all the it's all the color of it, the earlier age and then by the time they leave four years later eight years later it's white as snow they've got wrinkles they look like they've been run over with a truck 45 times and I'm like man that is a bad job. Like that job is a hard job. That That's like air traffic control level of, dude, are you sure you really want to do this? Barber did not include that, but <laughs> I, I would think that there needs to be a chapter, right? Uh, I'm hard pressed to think, to recall a single president, maybe with the exception of Reagan. Who okay? kept dyeing his hair until the day he died. Died, right? Because nobody who's 86 has hair that dark. That's no, naturally. Yeah. Okay. And it, it, <laughs> and I don't know what it was with his hairline. Okay. But as a dude, uh, you know, in, you know, in the middle age, if you will, category. Okay. You get to a certain year. It doesn't matter. Okay. You and I have gone ahead and talked about this. It happens to both men and women generally, but men more. Okay. He didn't even have a receding hairline. Right. Well, thin. He didn't get thin. I mean, he had this no. thick, lustrous. Okay. But Bush That's amazing. 41, Bush 41, Clinton, Bush 43, okay, Obama, okay. And okay, and please forgive me, 
with the current, you know, President Trump, I mean, he's been coloring his hair since what, well, 1980s, right? Right. <laughs> that blonde is not natural. <laughs> okay. But right. he, and he does a, like a big comb over thing that. Oh, yeah. Like there's a whole drama with how his head works. Yeah. But um, <laughs> on every level possible. But, um, but so we won't, we can't judge by this president. But I mean, you go back and look and you just, man, it was. It was hard on people. So what presidency Barbara, is hard on people. Yeah. So what Barbara went ahead and did was created a two by two table, right? Okay. So you have active positives, active negatives. Okay. Um, and then you have um, passive positives and passive negatives. Gotcha. And what he tried to do was put, if you will, the presidents since the turn of the 20th century where we have much more literature, okay, uh, about, you know, how they did their jobs, the presidential papers, et cetera. And he tried to put presidents into those categories. Okay. And part of what Barbara wanted to do was to get a better understanding of the personality types of presidents who historians, presidential scholars, generally, you know, view as successful versus less successful, all right? Although success is subjective because... Oh, sure. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this before. On one hand, FDR is considered a very successful president. On the other hand, many of the issues that people have today about the office of the president arose because of what FDR did, because almost all of his successors, okay, have argued, well, FDR did it. Right. And he was considered great. Right. So if and I he was want, kind of power grabby and sort of, I mean, like, yeah. So. Yeah. So if I want to achieve greatness, what do you mean you're going to tell me no? Nobody told FDR no. Okay. <laughs> Well, the Supreme Court did the first four or five years of his presidency, but even they eventually bowed to his will. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, it, so so have people continue? When did David Barber's work come out? Um, it came out in what 1980. Yeah. So have other people continued? Sort of. Yeah. Putting yeah. the presidents into okay, so this is kind of a framework that's common in in political science or a, yes. a yeah okay yeah. yep so 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 I'm curious about I want to know about passive negative, but I know that that's probably the last one, so I can wait to get to that. But I'm curious about what that means. Like that's a person who's miserable and doesn't want the job. Like what a terrible. Anyway, we'll get to that. Okay, so won't we go from, if you will, active to passive, right? Okay. So we have active positives. So basically, this is a president who puts a lot of time and energy in the job, really enjoys the job, right? Um, Bill these Clinton. Are, is he one of those? Um, yeah, yep, yep, yep. I mean, I don't know of a person who, enjoy, like, I'm sorry, I'm thinking my lifetime, like people who 
who just w wallowed in the what I think of in a positive way in the presidency, that would be Bill Clinton. Well, actually, we had two back to back. Bush 41 and Bill Clinton both fall into the category of active positives. Oh, okay. They, wow, which shows you that it's not necessarily about your personality so much as your approach. Yeah, okay. Because they're very different men. But, okay, they both had very high self-esteem. They brought a lot of energy to the job. Both liked the job, okay? I mean, you, ne you never got the sense that Bill Clinton or Bush 41 disliked being president. Right. They liked being president. Okay. Um, but for very different reasons, I bet. Sure. Okay. But Barber put FDR, Harry Truman, JFK, Bush 41, and then uh, other scholars put uh, Bill Clinton into that category. Okay. Now, in contrast, you have the active negatives. They spend a lot of energy on the job, but they really don't enjoy it, okay? They tend to have low self-esteem, okay? They're trying to compensate for something or prove to others that they deserved to be president, okay? Um, they tend to want to, you know, retain power. So they view a lot of people as their enemies, okay? Oh. The classic example is LBJ, okay? Is Lyndon Baines Johnson, okay? Johnson, you know, according to Barber, okay, is almost the classic underdog story who never got rid of the chip on his shoulder, right? Well, and I mean, if you were... Kennedy's vice president. Yeah. <laughs> how how hard would that be, right? The Kennedys were beautiful and they were young, and then he died before his time, right? In in most people's eye, and so I could see where Johnson would say, "I have to prove that I am just as worthy, like like that this office that I belong in this office." Oh, yeah. So I mean, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't it, luck. It wasn't happenstance that I'm the right person for this job. Yeah. I mean, in, in Johnson, you know, struggled with that even when he was Senate Majority Leader, even when he got elected to the House. Oh, um, so it's not just presidential positions. It's whatever position. Sure. Yeah. These apply to other jobs that these people you have could. had. Yes. Yes, you could. Yeah. Okay. So hence yeah. the Clinton and Bush, those probably applied in their gubernatorial. Well, Bush 41 was never governor. Oh. Yeah. Remember, Bush 41, so, vice president, okay, head CIA. of the CIA, U.S. senator, okay. But, you know, Bush 41, on one hand, you could go ahead and say, well, he was born with a silver, silver spoon in his mouth. On the other hand, this is, he was an individual who believed in public service. Right. He liked public service. He liked making a difference. He liked working with other people. Okay. So, you know, in, in, in. Well, so, and raised two sons to do the same thing. Like, sure. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, so Johnson's sort of, he's active. active. He puts lots of energy into the job, but he's, but he's not happy about it. 
No, he's not happy about it, right? Um, and that would be hard to put yourself like a lot of energy into something, even though it doesn't make you happy. Sure. Yes. I imagine occasionally parenting is like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, in I this mean, moment, I'm not happy, but, <laughs> but, but I'm putting all my energy in it because that's what I, I should do. Yeah, well, I mean, in a lot of it, it does depend on how you view the task, right? I mean, if you if you think that you should get get, get thanks for being a parent, well, chances are you're not going to get a lot of thanks for being a parent, right? Okay. I mean, you and I have talked about this in regards to teaching. You know, um, you know what? You know, one of my favorite, if you will. Uh, metaphors for teaching is, you know, Sisyphus, he's pushing, pushing the rock up the hill. Okay. The rock falls back down and next day we're trying to go and push it back up. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, it's different student, same, same pushing of the hill. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah. If, if, if you think you're going to go ahead and get, give get thanks from students um, for the job that you did, well, chances are you won't. Okay. Um, I'm I'm pretty lucky that I do most of the time because they come to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that if I relied on that as the measure of success, I would be sad because yeah. I don't think that it's, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that, but yeah, no, I, I think, well, anyway, I'm going to decide at the end how I feel about where I am with my job. Because I want to hear the other. Okay, so the, the other two, and remember, this is a, a, a two by two table. You have the passive positive. A president who doesn't spend very much time on the job, but nevertheless likes it, okay? Um, they want to be liked, okay? They want affection, okay? Um, so, some good examples here, and by the way, all three of these are Republicans. William Howard Taft, Warren Harding, and Ronald Reagan. Okay. Really? Ronald Reagan? Oh, so other people like run the place, but then. Yes. But you yes. sort of. Yes. Really enjoy it. You enjoy the public speaking parts. And he did enjoy going out and meeting people and talking to people. And Sure, he did. Okay. But I, I'm assuming that means that George H.W. Bush did a lot of the crafting of policy. Uh, no, uh, the White House uh, staff. I mean, you know, the Reagan kind of sort of viewed his job as president as CEO. Oh, okay. Okay. So he delegated a little bit to Bush 40, uh, you know, uh, Herbert Walker Bush. Okay. But in the main, he delegated authority to Jim Baker, Donald Reagan, and uh, to, 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 to do... He was attorney general for uh, Ed Meese. I was going to okay. say, is that Meese? Oh, yeah, it was Meese. Remembering that. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was Meese, right? So that makes um, sense. Well, Jim Baker makes complete sense because Jim Baker, oh, brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant. He Jim Baker had a key role in, in the Reagan administration and he had a huge role in the Bush 41 administration, right? Yeah. In fact, there's a new book out. Um, uh, that's coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, the man who ran Washington. It's a biography of Jim Baker. 
Okay. I'm going to tell you what, whether you like him or didn't like him, he was incredibly knowledgeable. Like, I mean, knew politics, knew Washington, but he also had enormous knowledge of foreign relations and how things worked in the world. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I can see that with President, I can see him being sort of a yeah, I don't really care about the job, but I do. I mean, I, I don't really care about putting my energy into it, but I like it. When sure. I show up, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, and, and I would probably even put Bush 43 into the passive positive. Oh, because Dick Cheney did yeah, yeah, a huge yelled, amount of the heavy lifting yeah, heavy on amount. policy formation. Yeah, okay. Um, but you never got the sense from Bush 43 that he didn't like the job. No, I mean, after no. that guy hucked that shoe at his head, yes, he just was like, miss me, and he kept right on going, you know. Yeah, doo, right? doo, doo, doo. I like, I, you know, I mean, he, even think about his attitude post 9 11 attacks, okay? You, you know, a lot of Americans now don't like the global war on terrorism, but a lot of people gave him credit for the way he went ahead and said, okay. This happened, okay, um, and we will not be undeterred. And I'm not going to complain about the fact that now my entire presidency is going to be defined by the 9-11 attacks. Right. He never complained about it. Never did. Okay. Although then he got a financial crisis. He had a tough presidency. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what happens when you hang around for eight years. Well, in, in I mean... Moreover, it goes back to the point that my colleagues Bill Newman and Chris Saladino frequent, frequently make about presidents when they run for office. And both of those uh, 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 faculty members, um, you know, deal with international relations and foreign policy. But, you know, presidential candidates, and we saw this last night a little bit in the debate, okay? Presidential candidates talk all the time about what they're going to do with U.S. foreign policy, Okay. But then they become president and the world happens. Well, and they Any suddenly realize that every other country in the world is a sovereign nation, <laughs> yeah. you know, idiot. You, you can't just tell them what to do. Like, turns yeah. out, unless you want to invade everyone and, and rebuild the American empire in its whatever glory days, then you're going to have to actually get along with people and compromise. Sure. I mean, and, you know, and, you know, and people around the world don't necessarily care if it's going to upset the United States. Yeah. Right? When we, when we say American exceptionalism, they say, huh. <laughs> That's their response. Thanks <laughs> for sharing. <laughs> exactly. Huh. Well, I'm going to go have my cappuccino now. See ya. And that's yeah. the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Pass the potatoes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yes. Listeners, I'm already thinking about holiday meals. Anyways, the last, the last type is passive negative. They don't spend a lot of time uh, or energy on the job and they don't necessarily like it. They basically became president because they think they should or it was like out of service or duty to the country. Um, good examples, Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, which interestingly enough, according to Barber, um, Nixon was Eisenhower's vice president during the 1950s. <laughs> oh, so he, <laughs> that's interesting that they found each other and were like, 
Oh, yeah, hey. this sucks. We should just do it. Well, I mean, and Eisenhower kind of sort of approached it as, um, you know, this is a continuation of my service to the country. You know, he was the, you know, uh, Allied commander during World War II uh, in Western Europe. Um, and um, he kind of sort of viewed it that way. Yeah. I mean, Ike was never a, huge, a, a big fan of, you know, I want to be president. I need this, right? He was kind of sort of like, okay, yeah, fine. You know, people tell me I should be president. <laughs> the country needs me. Oh, well, I'll do it, you know. I've just, done worse things. Yeah. I might as well do that. Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's kind of sad, but I can see where that would be. Um, well, and I know that Richard Nixon had a strong sense of duty. Oh, um, whatever yeah. else may be said about him, he, he felt that if he was capable of serving, he should serve. Yes. Uh, similarly to later on to Bush 41, right? If you are yes. capable of serving, then you should serve. Yes. Um, so, so where does President Trump fall in all of this? I would probably put him into the cat category of, um, well, quite obviously active. Brings a lot of energy to the job, right? Yes. Okay. But I struggle with, is he active positive or is he active negative? Okay. Because on one hand, he's active negative because he frequently tries to demonstrate, as we described at the beginning of the podcast episode, that he's a person to be reckoned with. Right. Okay. On the other hand, okay, you know, one of the attributes of active positive is they are quite flexible when their plans are stymied, right? Think about the things that he has done as president. When Congress has gone ahead and passed something, okay, and he signed it into law, he's usually compromised. He's usually compromised, okay? Yeah, I mean, he seems to, I'll tell I mean, you I mean, what, you mean, you as, know, aside from his health, which is a separate issue, Yeah. in some ways he has cat-like reflexes because he is able to pivot um, with almost no uh, uh, friction, right? If he needs to do a thing in order to make the deal, yes. then he does that, right? If Nancy Pelosi said to him tomorrow, I will sign your thing, but it has to be X trillion dollars or whatever, he would, meet, he would try to meet her somewhere in that neighborhood. Because to him, the deal is more important. Getting the, getting the deal and getting it accomplished is more important than the nitpicky details of who's going to pay for it and how does it, how does it actually work or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, think about, Nia, for instance, how um, uh, longstanding Republicans, members of the Republican Party, have groused that Trump is quite willing to forego principle to get a deal done. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. They say he's inconsistent and he's like, no, I'm ultra compromising. I'm trying to get a deal done. Right. I'm trying to make America great again. Okay. And you're going to have to compromise 
or make deals to make you know America you know great again. Okay, so it would be difficult for me. To me, what's more fascinating is let me ask you this: with Barber's typology, Neil, where would you put Barack Obama? Oh man, that is tough. I think he put a lot of energy into the presidency in the sense of, wait, <laughs> I'm saying that, but I'm, I'm not sure I actually. Okay, can we agree that his, if you will, view of the job was negative? Yes. Okay. So I think that he did not like being president. I think, I, yes. I think that he thought it was something different than what it was. Yeah. I think that partly that was circumstances. He had a group of people who did not want to work with him in the last six years, although in the first two years, and he was more energetic. I'm wondering if there's something that happens to you in opposition, right? Yeah. Like if it yeah, can I'm change you from active to passive, if you... Yeah, you raise a good question. One of the criticisms that has been made about Barber's typology and I still recall this when we discussed this book in a graduate level uh, a presidency class at Virginia Tech was, is the personality type shaped or is our view of a president's personality type shaped because the president either uh, was in a unified government or a divided government? Unified government is when the president and both houses of Congress are controlled by the same political party. Whereas divided is the president and at least one house of Congress, okay, is controlled by opposition political parties, okay? Right, and so Barack Obama's first two years, he had a, a unified yes. government. And I think he had more energy, he was more excited, he was more happy in the job because he was accomplishing things, but also it all felt like it was sailing along in a certain direction, right? And then I think when you get the opposition, I think it's less fun. I think it becomes less, it's harder to invest yourself in it when it's not, when, when the other side chooses either to not compromise or to not compromise in a way that unless you're anything gets done. Unless you're a passive positive like Ronald Reagan, who didn't seem to mind all that much that all eight years of his presidency, at least one House of Congress was controlled by the Democratic Party. Huh. I mean, think about it, okay? So, so... <laughs> yeah, so it's, no, it's more nuanced than a four-box... Yeah, uh-huh. There, there has to be other box. There have to be other boxes. I and that think. is, yeah. No offense is, to Mr. Barber, but we need more boxes. No, and that's why actually one of the criticisms, okay, of his, you know, if you will, two by two typology, okay. It's too he, simple. Yeah, it's too simple. But as a shortcut, okay, right. Or thinking about, okay, you know, presidential personality types, you know. If you think about the act of positive, you know, some of our more successful presidents, like an FDR, is in that box. But Abraham Lincoln, for instance, okay, um, was an act of negative. 
Okay, he brought a lot of energy to the job, but he did not enjoy the job. Well, I mean, there was a civil war. Okay, that but, would have a tendency to, to make it negative. I'm just saying. Okay, See, that's what I'm wondering is, is part of it how a president deals with momentous or enormous events. Like George Bush had 9-11 in his mm -hmm. presidency. He had Katrina in his presidency. He had the fiscal crisis yep. in, his, in his presidency. But his sort of buoyant personality, I think, sort of carried him through. Like, well, we're just going to have to tough it out, kids, and we'll just get, you know, we'll get to the other side. And we're all, you know what I mean? Whereas Lincoln, we know, was a person who suffered from depression. Yes. Um, he had enormous personal mm -hmm. losses. He lost a child. Um, he, his wife was a bit bonkers, um, to use a technical historical term. Um, Sorry, Dr. Eastman, if you listen to this. Um, so I'm wondering if if some of that is, you know what I mean? Like if, if some of the negative is not even about the job, it's so much about the person that even if they loved the job, they still wouldn't feel great about it because they don't feel great about anything. Like Richard Nixon at the end of his life was talking to the portraits in the White House. But he was not mentally well. Well, the uh, end of his presidency, not the end of his life. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there have been psychologists, and again, this is armchair psychology. Right. We don't know these people. We've not. We're not diagnosing these people. Thank you. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, there are plenty of psychologists who have claimed publicly in you know in research papers that many of his behaviors seem to manifest at least clinical depression, if not, if you will, significant uh, uh, paranoia. Richard Nixon? Yeah. 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 Well, and, um, and the thing about, okay, so um, the thing about Richard Nixon to me about paranoia is, is it paranoia if they really are out to get you? Like his, <laughs> his the group of people that he was working with were sort of snake bitey, back biting. You know, you, you saw some of that, um, like they would go after each other and throw each other under a bus. I, I, part of me thinks, I don't know if he was paranoid so much as he was, well, well, maybe he's paranoid, but I mean, if he had reason to be, if he had reason to be cautious about the people around him and their willingness to commit crimes, their willingness to lie, their willingness or, to do all that kind of thing. Or think about, for instance, also the times, okay? The, you know, late 60s, early 70s, we're talking about polarized America, right? Right. Okay? Well, yeah, okay. the I mean, protests. You know, and... you know, yeah, the cities were burning, okay? Um, a significant portion of the country didn't want to be in Vietnam. The nation's economy post-World War II finally began to slow down in the late 60s, early 70s, Okay. Um, and at that point, you know, who do most Americans turn to or blame, okay, when the, you know, excrement is hitting the fan? Right. We blame the president, right? Okay. Almost always. Yes. Yeah, right? I mean, this gets back to, you know, something that we discussed previously, and that is the expectation gap. 
presidents, when they run for the office, promise everything. Right? <laughs> they promise everything. A chicken in every car in every driveway with a with a air balloon on top. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, all kinds of you're like, what are you talking about? They Yeah, right. I mean, um, you know, I'm going to uh, flatten the earth so that's easier to drive on. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're seeing it with this presidential election, right? You know, from the current incumbent talking about, you know, how, you know, his administration is going to deliver a vaccine for COVID-19, you know, versus Joe Biden saying, with my economic plan, I'm going to create millions of new American jobs, right? As though the president can just go ahead and, you know, magically go ahead and create jobs, which they can't. Okay, they can. They can. Okay. can. I disagree with you. They can, but it's called the WPA. Okay. Yeah. You'd have to be willing to, I mean, that's not what he's talking about. If he was saying that, if he was saying, I'm well, going to create I mean, a yeah, new WPA where we're going to fix yeah, all he's the. not, right? So no, he's, I mean, no. he's, what he's talking about are corporate jobs and you can't make corporations do anything. No, right? So, you know, they do this all the time, but then when they get elected, turns out about half the crap they think they can do they can't the president doesn't have that power. part of me wants to say have you talked to augie about whether you have the power to do that because <laughs> on a regular basis augie destroys my dreams about what i'll be able to do as president he would probably do that for you if you would call him i should just email both both of the campaigns and say have y'all talked to john augie about this because because they won't know you as augie so can they talk to Dr. John Augenbaugh about what you actually can do and can't do. Do, right? The things you're promising. It's like you when you mentioned the um, um, Vice President Biden saying, I'm going to make everybody wear a mask. And you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. You don't have that power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just sound like a chucklehead when you say that. Yeah, right. Or, or, you know, the, and the, the president saying, you know, this is going to go away in the summer. <laughs> like, do you, have you talked to a scientist ever in your life? That's not how disease works. Like what? Or, yeah. or, or the, or, or the example that got you really exercised was president Trump telling voters in North Carolina to vote <laughs> twice or three yeah, times. multiple times. Just go vote a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, who cares about a felony? Like, well, yeah. you you have a lot more money. You can get yourself out of the legal system, but I can't. Yeah, you know, you know the, the old axiom of vote early, vote early, vote right. often. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Although, thank goodness, he had, in fairness to him, he has stopped saying it. Yeah, right? I think but, because somebody in his campaign was like, please, Mr. President, stop telling people to vote more than once. That's, yeah, that's illegal in most of the states where you've said it. Yeah, and we don't want charges against you for conspiracy. Right. <laughs> Chill out on that. Yeah. Of all the other legal difficulties you're going through, we don't need to go ahead and add <laughs> criminal charges, right? So you got this expectation gap. They come in the office. They recognize that a lot of the stuff they might want to do, they can't do, right? Or a lot of the stuff that maybe their predecessors accomplished, okay, was because other institutions were willing to work with them, which means you will have to put in the work to get those other institutions to agree with you. Um, you know, again, as president, I mean, the current occupant has struggled with this, 
I mean, big time. Barack Obama did, in particular, the last, his second term in office, particularly his last two years when both the House and the Senate were controlled by the Republican Party. Just because you're president doesn't mean the other institutions of government are going to say, well, okay, sure, if you want to, Mr. President or Madam President. Yeah, it turns out presidency is not a monarchy. No, right? I know that may come as a shock to some people who run for the presidency. (laughs) But in fact, you are not the sole ruler of the, you know. Like, there's a reason that we have a constitution and then we had a whole federalism thing going on there was like, no, no, we don't want a king. No more kings. And and then you throw in a judiciary who those ungrateful sods, you nominate them for their position, they get confirmed, and then they go in and they issue rulings that go against you. Yeah, hello, how dare they be independent thinkers? Yeah, yeah, what kind of cockamamie, you know, Supreme Court is that? They can't be told what to do. So everybody who's all fretting about Amy, Amy Coney Barrett, what I've realized after having had this discussion with you multiple times over the summer is there is no way on earth you can predict what she's going to do. No. In any given situation, because the Supreme Court is a, an entirely different animal. They get on there. There's no term limits. There's no more courts to work up to. Like, that's it. That's it. And it frees them in a way where they're like, oh, hey, you know how I was put in by a president who's on one side or the other? (laughs) I got news for you, buddy. Well, I mean, in many ways, and I just told my students in my courts class this a couple weeks ago, Supreme Court justices, once they get confirmed, are like cats. Okay, you may want them to act a certain way, (laughs) but anybody who's ever had a cat, even if it is the nicest, most gregarious cat on the face of the planet, there's going to be some point in time where that cat, okay, will come by you, sniff you, and then like walk away and not want to have anything to do with you. And you're just going to have to accept it. Yep. You're a cat owner, right? (laughs) Yep. Okay. Um, It's on their terms. Sure. Right. Every interaction is on their terms, not on yours. And here's the value of Barber's personality typology. You place individuals with these broad personality characteristics, then into a situation where on one hand, they think they can go ahead and move mountains. And on the other hand, the reality is, yeah, not so much. Not so much. It's surprising that any of them carry any positivity out of the job. Oh my, yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, it, this should be like, this should be day one. And yeah. then when they do day whatever number, I don't know what it would be, what, 1400 and something or whatever it would be towards the end of your first you know, term as president. Yeah. It'd be like, let's see whether you've changed from positive to negative. Because, you know, hey, as we discussed with the gray hair, the job itself will beat you to death. Like, it's just a... Hey, Neil, what, you think about those uh, jobs where they do exit surveys, right? You know, when you no longer have the job uh-huh. and, and they survey you <laughs> to see what your experience is like. What if we did... 
uh, a time series of exit surveys of presidents. Right? Oh my great googly mooglies. I would give anything if we did that. If if political science could arrange to interview oh. the president the day the day after he leaves the White House and then two years after that and then 10 years after that, right? Like what Yes. How does your perception change between what you how well you think you did and compared to your then successors? Right. What's but that's a that's such a small club that, you know, that survey sample would be really small, but it would be really interesting. Well, and, and I think eventually they start to look back with rose colored glasses. I think eventually they start to look back and see see it more positively than they may have if you ask them on the day after they leave the White House. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about Jimmy Carter. Right. Um, he gets saddled with a stagnating economy. And he's, you know, replacing Nixon slash Ford. Middle then you have the crisis. Iranian hostage crisis. Right. Well, in the Middle East oil crisis. Right. Wasn't that during him or was that during Nixon? Oh, uh, shoot, that was that Nixon Ford. Nixon. Yeah. yeah, that was Nixon Ford. Right. But nevertheless. Right. Um, uh he well, I don't know though he wanted us to all wear sweaters and turn down the heat and <laughs> I mean you know what I mean like I no but what saying. I'm thinking is he gets voted out of office but his negotiations lead to the release of the uh, of the hostages right? right and basically he has a president his successor Reagan um comes into office and dials up if you will, the Carter Doctrine, so that it effectively ends the Cold War, and he gets none of the credit, right? <laughs> yeah, not to mention the fact that Reagan also took the the solar panels off the White House. Like, yes, and you know, you don't get to just undo the presidency before, but then keep the bits you like and pretend they were yours. Except that that does happen. That's got to be frustrating for the various presidents as well. Or, I mean, and I think that presidents also probably think some of them, if I had just had another two years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I had just had a little more time or if I had just had a yeah. unified um, Congress or if yeah. I had just had, you know, if I had just had those things, I suspect that Richard Nixon thinks that thought that, excuse me, he's passed, but I suspect that when he was gone, when he had resigned and he left, I suspect that he also carried some, if I had just with him. Or think about Bush 41, Nia. The budget deal that he entered into, which ended up, if you will, being the target of the third party candidate, Ross Perot. Okay, the budget deal where Bush had to go back on his campaign promise of no new taxes. Yep. That budget deal, okay, even folks in the Clinton administration acknowledged it after Bill Clinton served two terms. That budget deal set the groundwork, okay, for the nation's economy rebounding in the 1990s. Yeah, because it exploded. I mean, that's the oh, dot, yeah, that's right? the dot coms and the whole 
but you know, the fact is Bush conceded on taxes to get concessions from the Democrats in regards to entitlement spending. And it's what led to okay, positive, you know, you know, the the, the federal government's uh, budget not running a deficit by the end of the Clinton uh, administration second term. Right. Bush fixed trickle down trickle down economics. Sure he did, right? And didn't get any credit for that whatsoever. Yeah, none, none of the credit, right? The Cold War ends on his watch. Who who gets to reap the peace dividend? Reagan. No, Clinton. Well, but Reagan gets the credit for oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah, Gorbachev yeah, yeah, yeah. tear down this wall, even though yeah. Yeah. Bush actually did all the work to work. make that happen. And then who, who reaped the peace dividend? Clinton. Clinton. So either on either side, <laughs> yeah. the presidents around him got all the credit for doing something that he that he worked really hard and must have been hard for somebody who came out of a CIA to do. Like oh, to sure. trust and to have the faith that it would work and to be willing to do it, because that would not have been his background. And yet, yeah, 41's an interesting character. He he makes me he makes me rethink a lot of what I thought I understood about the the Republican Party during his roughly his time. Because he he's I think he is an he's an underappreciated historical figure. I think in 50 years, people will talk about him differently than they do now. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And if and, and if uh, my colleague Bill Newman listens to this episode, and please forgive me, Bill, if I mischaracterize some of the remarks uh, you've made to me in, in conversations we've had, but I think even uh, my colleague Bill Newman um, has, art, you know, uh, believes uh, in, 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 in Dr. Newman does study U.S. foreign policy and the presidency. Um, Bush 41 uh, will more than likely be considered in the future more positively than um, he was uh, when he first left office. And that's not always the case with presidents. But anyways, uh, we, we completely ran out of time here, folks. We never even got to um, uh, another body of work, uh, which was uh, 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 Greenstein's The Presidential Difference, Leadership Style from FDR to uh, Bush 41. But um, we're going to talk about that next week, right? That's Yeah. We're going we're gonna to record that because we want people to hear that as well, because it's a, it's a, a deeper dig into, um, into how different presidents communicate and how they, like the, the, the actual things they do in the job. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, because what we're gonna be getting into are various, if you will, skill sets, okay? Right. Various what skill sets. What we got today was sort of the base personality that that starts them off. Yes. Um, how how they view the presidency and then how they act within the presidency is what we're going to do next time. Okay. So thank you so much, Augie. No, oh, hey, thank you, Nia. Uh, um, and again, folks, um, uh, our episode today in many ways originated uh, because of uh, Nia, and, Nia and I um, thinking about how, um, you know, when you have candidates for office, 
Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's difficult to go ahead and see what are the differences between them. Um, but uh, last night's, if you will, <laughs> the presidential debate, okay, struck both of us as, wow, okay, you're talking about two different cats here, right? Two different types of people, <laughs> okay? Yes. Um, and is there a body of literature within political science uh, that, you know, maybe helps us get a better handle on it? Um, so anyways, um, uh, well. Uh, yep, and I'm looking forward to next week's episode as well, because I'm, I'm looking forward to digging in on, the, on their actions as presidents. So okay. thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.